0: Well, good morning, church. If you've got your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, we are in part three of this series called Faith, Hope, and Love, and uh, it is good to be here this morning. I was out of town last weekend, last week, on vacation. Gretchen and I went with Ben and Carrie Williams to Napa, um, and it was awesome to be there and just to not be in charge of anything for a week. Obviously, that's my first time in Napa. I called my daddy and said, Daddy, I'm going to Napa. He said, What's wrong with your truck? So that's just kind of how we grew up. <laughs> So, uh, but we did take a lot of communion, so we are very close with the Lord right now. Um, But the best part about us, the best part was just that kind of marriage stuff that happens while you're there. But the the other great thing that happened is uh, Pastor Ryan Stone was here to deliver the Word of God. Amen. Did he not bring it? It was awesome. So, Pastor Ryan, he walked us through the end of Acts chapter 12 Uh, where God takes Herod out, and he was talking about a hope, really misplaced hope, like putting hope in yourself instead of hope in the Lord, and that's called pride. And one of the things that he said that I was just so blessed to hear as I was listening online um, was that pride causes us to hear what we want to hear instead of what we need to hear. That pride causes us to, when people are trying to speak life into us, that stings a little to walk away from that. And surround ourselves with the people that will will call us gods instead of call on the one true God. Which leads us into what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about love. That love is not a feeling. Love is an action. And that love demands that we do the tough thing for the person. Instead of do the easy thing which keeps us comfortable. So Acts chapter 13 beginning in verse 1. Now... There were in the church of Antioch. Uh, this is kind of a big deal in church history. If you've been walking through the book of Acts with us, you'll know that so far everything's been in and around Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like the main campus. That's where, that's where Jesus did his ministry primarily. That's where um, he was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected. It's where he gathered his disciples together before the ascension and said, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the disciples, the church heard that and went, Amen. And then they stayed in Jerusalem. And so uh, then persecution comes. They spread. The gospel gets, begins to spread kind of accidentally. But this this church plant in Antioch is the first time that they're actually sending out strategically groups of people to share the gospel. So that's what's happening here. Now, there were in the church at Antioch. Prophets and teachers, this little phrase, prophets and teachers, essentially means that this is like the elder board or the leadership of this church in Antioch, and here they are. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, I don't know if you're able to pick up on this, but um, there is a whole lot of diversity in this group, which is great. There's a whole lot of diversity in the church at Antioch. You got some white dudes, some black dudes, some other people. We're not exactly sure what their color is, but it doesn't matter. You got some rich people, some poor people. You've got some people that grew up, um, very, very religious. And you've got some people that grew up anti-religious. And God has assembled this, this really bouquet of different people, different socioeconomic classes, different races, different backgrounds. And that's the people that He's brought together to be the church. And the only thing they have in common is Jesus. And I just want you to know that is our heart's desire at the church of 1122 that he would continue to diversify us, continue to make us look more and more uh, look like what heaven's going to look like when there are people from every tribe and every tongue and every race surrounded around one thing, not what we have in common, except that we have in common Jesus Christ. And that is what this church in Antioch was all about. Verse two, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, now notice this. The Holy Spirit's gonna give direction to this church, but when does He give direction? He gives direction while they are seeking God. While they are worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks. You know why some of, you know why some of you don't hear from the Holy Spirit? Because you are seeking God's direction more than you're seeking God. Instead of seeking Him for His sake, you're really seeking Him for your sake. Because you're 22 years old and you don't don't know what to do with the rest of your life. And the reason God is withholding direction from you is because he knows as soon as he gives you his plan for you, then you don't need him anymore and you're going to quit being with him. There are times when I withhold things from my kids because I just like the attention. All right? And it's probably selfish when it's me, but when it's the Lord, it's all right because he's the Lord. And so for some of you, that's what he's doing, that you don't seek God for your own sake, but for his sake. And it was in those moments when God began to speak. Jesus said it this way, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You want to know what to do with the rest of your life? Whether, you know, no matter how long you have left and you seek him, you seek him for his sake, and then maybe he'll tell you what you should do. And so, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now notice who he says this to. He says this not individually to Barnabas and Saul, but he says this to the church, to the corporate body. Part of the reason that you and I have been called to live in community is so that the people of God can understand the word of God by bouncing it off the other people of God. I hope that makes sense to you. I'm always a little, um, a, a little cautious of the person that's got like a word from the Lord, but they don't have any people of the Lord around them to confirm the word of the Lord to them. I mean, I've heard some kooky stuff that people come up to me and say, hey, I got this idea, but it's actually, it's a vision from the Lord. I'm like, well, the only problem with that is the Bible, okay, because he told the rest of us something else in the Bible, And so one of the things that God does, one of the reasons you need to be a part of this community of faith is because it is in his family, in his body that he speaks to us corporately. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You you know, around here at the Church of 1122, whenever we send off missionaries for a for a mission trip, whether it's short-term or long-term or whatever it is. You know what we do. We, we have all of you that are going to stand up, and then what do we do as a church? We lay our hands on you, we pray for you, and we send you off just like the first church did, just like this church in Antioch did. You see, here's the thing, is that we have been called to live our life in Christ. It's supposed to happen together in community this idea of a lone ranger Christian, this Christian says, hey, I believe in Jesus, but I don't need the church, that would be a foreign idea to God and to the gospel and to his word. That the idea that, how many of you have ever heard people say, well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I love Jesus, but I don't like organized religion. I love Jesus, but, I, but the church is full of a, a bunch of hypocrites. That would be like you coming up to me going, Pastor Joby, I love you, but your wife's ugly. I would choke you unconscious. That's how that rolls. Okay. <laughs> like you may want to be my friend, but that ain't how it works, okay? You cannot simultaneously love me and hate my wife. Guess why? Because the two have become one. All right. So if you praise me and cuss her, I punch you. That's how that little <laughs> triangle works. There are three illustrations in the New Testament to describe the church. That we are His bride. Who do you think you are to say I praise you, God, and cuss His bride? Because look, He's a good husband. We are called the body, and we are called the family. All right, That's the three illustrations of a church. And we are supposed to, you can't be in a family by yourself. And and some of you have members of your family, and they try to do life outside of your family, and they're the black sheep of your family, right? They're weird. When they eventually show up to your family reunion, you're like, they're here. (laughs) And they kind of don't fit in. Well, well God did not design you to be like that in the family of God. It's why we call this thing a big dysfunctional family. Look around, ain't she a butte, right? And I know many of you didn't fit in in other churches, and that's why you're here, but we are a family. The other illustration is that, that if you're a Christian, you're a part of the body of Christ. And a body part needs a body. And you are a part of the body. If when this service is over today... And you were walking out to your car. And on your way out to your car, next to your car in the parking lot, you saw a foot with no body. And you walked up to that foot. You wouldn't think, well, who am I to try to tell the foot that they have to have a body? Maybe the foot didn't get along with the body. All right, Maybe there's some issues there that I'm not aware of. I mean, you can be a foot all by yourself foot if you want to. No. You would go, something has gone terribly wrong. I'm not sure what it is, but I am positive this is not the design. The other thing that you would do when you would look at that foot is you would think, this is gross. (laughs) I mean, a foot attached to a body is pretty gross in and of itself. But a detached foot is terribly gross. And and the future of the foot is what? It's going to rot, it's going to stink, and it's going to die. That's what a foot detached from a body. And there's not just a problem with the foot. Somewhere out there, we've got a problem with a body. <laughs> this, did you know that our church, there's a problem here in our church because there are people, there are, are members of the family, and they're not plugged into the body here. The Church of 1122 is missing out on some of the things that some people that aren't plugged in right now have for us as a family. And so the future of the foot, going to it's going to... It's going to stink. It's going to rot. It's going to die. I believe if heaven looks at the Lone Ranger Christian, looks down at the Lone Ranger Christian, that Christian that says, you know what? I don't need to be a part of, of God's movement, this ecclesia, this thing called church. I think heaven looks and goes, there is something seriously wrong has gone here. This was not the plan. And your future is, is you're going to stink and you're going to rot and you're going to die. And quite honestly, it's just Gross the detached Christian from the body. It's just gross. It's not the way we as Christians were intended to live. We were intended to live in gospel-driven community together because we're a family, we're a body. And if you'll notice, some of the things that, that happen here is one of the things that's just incredible is it's this community of faith that identifies the gifts of Paul and Barnabas and sends them out. A part of the reason that you need to be plugged into a community of faith, and it doesn't have to be this church, but any local movement, any local body, is so that there are men and women around you that can see how God has uniquely gifted you and then identify um, part of what God's plan for you is in his kingdom. You know why I'm the lead pastor of the Church of 1122? You know where this idea came from? Pastor Jerry Sweat my pastor. This wasn't my idea. I'm sitting in a meeting one day with a bunch of folks, and we're working on the future of Beach, and, and, and we're in St. Augustine, and Pastor Jerry looks across the table at me and says, Joby, I believe it's time for Beach to launch a brand new church with you as the lead pastor. You think I would come up with this idea? And in fact, you, you might want to be weary of the person that says, hey, I've come off the mountain, and the Lord has spoken. Well, what did he say? Well, I'm in charge. You get some kooky Christians doing that kind of stuff. But you see, I came to Beach as the student pastor, and I was Pastor Jerry's kid student pastor. And so we got to be close that way. Then I became his executive pastor. And for a season, God had called me to be under his spiritual authority, under the covering of that church. And I was surrounded by men and women of God um, that, that were on staff and that loved the Lord. And we were all just laboring together. And, I, and we had this incredible team of volunteers that I got to do ministry with together. And it was those people that identified in me, hey, we think the Holy Spirit is speaking and that you have been commissioned to do something. Then what did we do? We came together as Beach and said, hey, we're launching a church. And together we, we relaunched Beach and we launched the Church of 1122 with Pastor Jerry Sweat saying, man, I, I think you have what it takes. You see, that's why you need to be in gospel-centered community. Some of you have no idea what God has in store for you. And you're never going to hear it on your own. You're going to hear it in that that kind of uh, authentic relationships. It's one of the reasons we push disciple groups. We want you to be in that gospel-centered community. And showing up here for an hour and a half on a Sunday, sitting in rows, singing some songs, listening to me, and then leaving during the last song because you can get your kid and get out of the parking lot before it gets crazy, right? That is not gospel-centered community. If that's where you are right now, praise God, we're glad you're here. It's time to take that next step, and you need to be you need to be in authentic community with some other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, it doesn't have to be our programs, but unless you've got a better idea, go with disciple groups. All you've got to do at the end of the service is you can just go right over here to the Connect Center, and you can sign up for disciple groups. And, in, and the way we run disciple groups, um, they're all open, okay? You don't have to fill out an application. Nobody's going to vote you in or out. And I know some people get nervous and they'll go, but what if some weird people get in our group? Of course some weird people are going to get in your group. Look around the room. You got weird people in your family, don't you? And if you're going, not mine, then guess who the weird one is. All right? It's just a part of it. It's just a part of it. It's part of being in the family. And it's also why we do our disciple groups just based on where you live. That we don't do affinity groups or we don't do age-graded groups. You know why? Because I don't want to put all the 20-year-olds in one group together. Well, that's a concentration of ignorance, isn't it? All right, good luck, kids. Y'all work that out. I bet that's going to end well. No. It's the same reason I don't want all the 70-year-old guys together either. You know why? Because they just sit around and lie. They talk about, I remember back when I was a kid and, you know, the ice cream was sweeter and the sweet tea was better and politicians didn't lie and nobody sinned, right? Bull, that's a lie. We need to, the Bible says that the old guys need to teach the young guys and the older women need to pour into the younger women. That's why our groups are all mixed up like that because we want it to look like the church, not just the Sitting in circles with people that all oh, are in your same stage of life. No, we want to mix that all up. It's why, for instance, college students. I know we've got a lot of college students that attend here. And everybody in college students say, When are you gonna start a college ministry? Man, I'm gonna delay it as long as I can. You know why? Because I don't want to perpetrate adolescence. All throughout human history and in the Bible, there were there were boys and there were men. But in America we have this new thing called a guy. It's called adolescence. You're not a boy, but you're not a man. You're just like a boy that can shave, all right? And so at our church, we don't want to perpetrate that any longer. Listen, you're 18 years old and you're in college. Um, I would just say, grow up. If you can sign up for the army and hold a rifle and fight the enemy for our freedom, you can be in a grown man Bible study, okay? So just grow up a little bit. We don't want to put all the college students together and say, hey, let's see what happens. I think that's Woodstock, all right? And I don't think it was God glorifying. So what we are trying to do is what we see all throughout the scriptures is that we all, listen, God does some of his best work, not sitting in rows, listening to me, but sitting in circles in somebody's house with a Bible open with people going, what do y'all think that means? And the group going, I'm not really sure, but we're going to walk through this thing together and that there's some accountability there. And so if you're serious about your relationship with Jesus, then you'll be serious about getting together in gospel-centered community. <clears throat> and so verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now notice, who sends them out? The church doesn't send them out. Peter, and a Holy Spirit sends them out. When we commission missionaries in this place, I'm not sending anybody anywhere. I just get to line up with what the Holy Spirit's doing. I mean, what an honor that is that we as a church get to lay our hands on people and pray for them and and watch the Holy Spirit send them out to do what he has called them to do. And so, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there, they sailed to Cyprus, and when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. You notice where they proclaimed the word of God? Just wherever they were. For them, missions wasn't about where they were, it was about who they were. Now, it was cool to go on a mission trip, but they were on mission regardless of where they were. And so they were just sharing the gospel. They were just sharing what they knew about Jesus with whoever God would put in their path. And they had John to assist them, verse 6. And when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. Now, a false prophet meant that you were all about yourself and you would twist the word of God to work for you. A true prophet, 100% of the time, proclaims the word of God and gives glory to him and not to yourself. Now, this guy was a false prophet, all right? He had his own agenda, and it was all about him. Now, his name, Bar Jesus, literally, Bar means son of, and Yeshua means savior. So his name literally means son of savior. You guys know another guy with the name Bar in the Gospels, maybe. If you're familiar with the, when Jesus was on trial... And there was Jesus, and there was one other guy that the crowd could choose who to set free. And remember, his name was Barabbas, right? Barabbas. Bar means the son of. You know what Abba means? The father. So you want to see a picture of substitutionary atonement? That here's this man whose name was son of the father, and Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, pays the penalty for that man, and the son of the father is set free. And so this guy's name is Bar-Jesus, which means son of salvation. Verse 7, he, Bar-Jesus was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So <laughs> there's this pro-council, he's kind of like the mayor, he's intelligent, he's important, he's very influential, and he desires to hear the word of God. Now, here's the, here's the thing, that nobody seeks after God. That That actually what, what the proconsul was doing is he was responding to this thing that God was already doing in his life. The curiosity that he had about God, that God had already put that in there, and he was just responding to that. In fact, there are some of you here today, and you're kind of like the proconsul. You don't necessarily believe what we believe yet, but you are curious. You desire to hear the word of God. It's why, by the way, that we don't necessarily try to entertain you with church, but we just, verse by verse, teach the word of God because we know that's what you desire. You can get entertained all over the place. But that you want to hear the word of God. And I've got good news for you, and I've got bad news for you, if that's you. Um, uh, The bad news is, well, it's good news from my perspective. might be bad for yours. That God's coming after you. If you've got this little thing in you that just wants to keep coming back and continue to hear the word of God, uh, then, then he's coming after you. And here's the rough part. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, my Reformed theologian friends are going to know what I'm talking about here, but the Bible says nobody seeks God. Nobody seeks God. But God, what God is doing in you is God is regenerating your heart that God is actually putting that desire for him in you, that he's dropping little mustard-sized seeds of faith into your heart. And I've met some of you. I have met some of you. You, You've introduced yourself to me at the end of the service and say, Hi, I'm Tom, and I'm an atheist, and I don't believe anything you're saying. And I go, Oh, hey, I'm Pastor Joby. I believe everything I said. (laughs) And then they go, Well, I believe I'll be back next week. Awesome, Tom. And I just grin a little on your way out because you're done. You are done. I mean, he's coming after you, and you can run, but you can't hide. All right? His grace is irresistible. Isn't it frustrating? And, and you're even sitting here right now trying to disprove, yeah, but I'm, I'm never going be, to believe in this Jesus thing. You guys are narrow-minded, and the church is hypocritical. What about the dinosaurs, and my mama said, and whatever you want to come up with, and you can run, but you just can't hide? It's like when I play hide-and-go-seek with my three-year-old. Reagan says, Daddy, come find me. You count. And I start counting, and she runs and hides. And she hides like this in her room. She'll just put her head behind the bed and her whole body's sticking out. And even if I'm not done counting yet, she goes, I'm ready. And I'm like, you're giving away your position, baby. And then i walk into her room and if I don't immediately say, I see you, Reagan, she'll just start giggling. <laughs> and i go, I found you. And that's what you look like to the Lord. <laughs> and he's coming after you. He's coming after you. He's coming after you. All right, this wasn't my idea, okay? This was not my idea. The Lord is, the Holy Spirit is wooing you unto himself. That's what happened. He is regenerating your heart. The scales are falling off of your eyes. You're beginning to have ears to hear because I have the same message every single week. God loved you, sent his son Christ to die on the cross to endure suffering, pain, and the penalty for your sin that you could live in him. I say it every week, same thing, and then now all of a sudden one week you go, wow, that made a lot of sense. I said this, I've been saying the same thing for four years, right? That's the Holy Spirit giving you ears to hear. He's wooing you unto himself, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's kind of like when I met Gretchen in the gym, and she was just wooing. No, I'm just kidding. That's not saying. <laughs> but kind of. So that's what's happening here. And I want to say this. If that's you, all right, <clears throat> if you don't believe what we believe yet, but, but, but you just keep coming back, you have no idea how welcome you are here. Look, we built this place for you to the glory of God, but we built it to, for you. you. Jacksonville didn't need another church. You drove by 11 to get here this morning, didn't you? All right, we are saturated with churches, but we didn't want to build a church for church people. We were building a church for God to win more people unto himself So if you don't believe what we believe yet, that is totally, that's totally fine. If you're a skeptic, man, you're in the right place. We really desire that you would feel like you belong even before you believe. And we're praying with everything we're made of that the Holy Spirit would keep coming after you like an apex predator. And you are done, baby. You are done. And in the meantime, welcome. Come with your questions. Come with your skepticism. Um, You are a part of the family too. That this church, the church of 1122, is for all people to deepen and discover a relationship with Jesus Christ. So you are in the right place, and you're just like this pro-council. So if you want to know what's going to happen to you, you can just keep reading. Verse 8. But Elemas, the magician, so this is the same guy. This is Bar-Jesus. He's got a couple names. Um, <clears throat> for that is the meaning of his name. He opposed them, seeking to turn the pro-council away from the faith. You know... Some of you have this kind of person in your life. You are moving towards a relationship with Christ, and you've got friends or coworkers or family members, and they are trying to keep you from your relationship with Jesus. I mean, you do, right? You know you do. Some of your family members are like, Are you why do you keep going to that place? And especially if you get to the point where you give tithes and offerings, they'll think you're really drinking the Kool-Aid now. Why would you give that old Walmart your money? All right. The question you have to ask is, why? Why would bar Jesus and why are there people in your world that are trying to literally bar you from Jesus? It's because, it's, because it's, it's messing them up somehow. I mean, there are some people and they don't want you to live a life surrendered to Christ because they're afraid they're going to lose their party buddy or lose their business partner and you've been doing some kind of unethical things and they know it's going to cost them dollars or they're going to lose their makeout partner. And they're like, oh, baby, you can believe whatever you want, but just don't, you know, don't be applying that to us. So that we can't make out all the time. And that's what it is. You've got some people in your life that are keeping you from your relationship with Jesus. Verse 9. But Saul. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. He's going to look right at Bar Jesus. And here's what he says to him. And he said, oh, Bar Jesus, you're hurting my feelings. Bar Jesus, you've got an opinion, and I've got an opinion, and we all got No, he didn't say any of that kind of stuff. Here's what he says. You son of the devil. I mean, that's in the Bible, okay? You son of the devil. I love it. Now, remember what his name means, son of salvation, but you're not living up to your name. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. Now notice what Paul wants us to know. In, in just a second, Bar Jesus is going to go blind. And Paul wants us to know that Paul didn't poke his eyes out. But Paul was just saying, look, this is the Lord disciplining you. This is the Lord putting his hand on you. The hand of the Lord is upon you. And you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. So, it, so essentially what happens is Paul is trying to lead this pro council, who's interested in the things of God, trying to lead him to Christ. But this other guy, Bar Jesus, keeps getting in the way. And so Paul's going to kind of put him in time out. he be like, get out of my way. And he, and he kind of, not prays for him, but prays on him. And the guy goes blind. Now, I don't know if you guys remember, if you're keeping up with the book of Acts, but you remember a few weeks ago how Paul came to know the Lord? You remember, Paul was like his very own bar Jesus. He was barring Christians and putting them behind bars and trying to keep more people from hearing about Jesus. And he was on his way to Damascus. And you'll remember, he got thumped off of his horse and a bright light shone down upon him. Who are you, Lord? He answers his own question. And the Lord, with the bright light, blinds him for a season. And that's what led Paul to Jesus. Now, I'm just guessing here, but maybe Paul's saying, Bar Jesus, you know what you need? you need to walk through the same thing that I walked through that caused me to surrender my life to Jesus. And so he walks up to him and boom, goes blind. And then I love this next line. Then the pro believed. Of course he believed. I wish I could make some people blind around here. I mean, how sweet would that be? If you came up to me and you said, Pastor, I've really been struggling with my faith and I think I'm ready to surrender my life to Christ, but my husband says I can't. And I'd be like, bring him down here. I'd walk up to him and boom, make him go blind. I'd be like, "You ready?" He'd be like, "Yeah, Jesus." I mean, you would surrender your life to him. <laughs> so that's what the pro does. Then the pro council believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So the reason we call this thing love is because love's not just a feeling. Paul didn't just sit back and say, "Dear God, somebody ought to talk to Bar Jesus so that we can talk to the pro about Jesus." No, Paul did something about it. Love demands action. When you really love somebody and you see a problem in their life, love demands that you step towards the problem and not step away. Because when you step away from it, guess what? You love you more than you love them. That you are willing to risk the friendship for the sake of the friend. And we all need some people like Paul in our lives when there are some things or some situations or even some people that lead us away from Jesus. We need some brothers and sisters in our life that are willing to love us enough to step towards the mess for the sake of the gospel. The point is this, that your personal relationship with Jesus is intended to be lived out in authentic community. That your personal relationship with Jesus, yes and amen, that your relationship with Jesus is personal. You can't inherit your faith from your grandma. You can't kind of catch your faith by showing up to church. You don't get a relationship with Jesus by osmosis. I've told you before, just because you sit in this church doesn't make you a Christian anymore. than putting your head in the oven makes you a biscuit. That's just not how it works, all right? It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. But that personal relationship with Jesus is intended to be lived out in the community of faith. And I love that this passage in Acts 13, 1 through 12, I love that it handles really both the, kind of the fun part and the not so fun part. In the beginning, the first few verses are about how they're praying together and fasting together and worshiping together and how God speaks to us through the community of faith and how members, your brothers and sisters in church, they identify in you the gifts that God has given and they commission you to go and serve in his name. And then the second part is uh, the, an aspect of the church or the community of faith that's got to step in. And if you've been in church for a while, you t- we talk about accountability partners. They're, they're to hold you accountable. And they're not holding you accountable to them. They're supposed to hold you accountable to your relationship with him. And that your personal relationship with Jesus was not meant to be lived all by yourself. But in this community of faith. The Bible says it this way in Proverbs thirteen twenty. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I say it this way. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. All right? You want to be a faith-filled follower of Jesus, then you better be hanging out with some. You want to be an idiot, just hang out with idiots. I mean, you look, you look around with who you're spending the majority of your time with, and that's who you are most likely to become. And so what we want to do is we want to be the kind of church that loves each other enough that we can help one another, that we can sharpen one another, that we can be wise and help other people walk wisely with Jesus. Because you know, there are some people in your world that influence you towards Jesus. Don't you have those people in your life? I hope and I pray that you have some people in your life that when you're with them, your heart for Jesus just grows bigger and bigger and bigger. One of those for me is Pastor Ben. I mean, Ben Williams is one of the guys in my life that just, whenever I'm with him, and we spend a lot of time together, he just makes me love Jesus more. And, and, and I, I don't want to burst your bubble. It's not like we do a bunch of necessarily spiritual stuff. You know, it's not like he sings me a hymn and I preach him a sermon. We're like, bless you, you know, and serve each other communion and go home. Usually we drink a beer and watch Will Ferrell movies. That's typically what we do, Okay. <laughs> But it's just in that hanging out. You know how Ben will like intro a song, you know, when he does those little, this song reminds me of one time I was surfing in the wave. You know, he doesn't just do that for the intro songs. We'll just be hanging out. I mean, we could be anywhere and we're just hanging out. And He's like, oh, the way that seagull flies reminds me of this verse from Zephaniah. And I'm thinking, man, this guy just never clocks out. I wasn't thinking about Jesus at all. I was kind of hungry thinking about a hot dog and he's thinking about how the Lord's speaking to him. And when I'm with him, it just, it just makes me want to love Jesus more, know him more. When I watch how he loves his wife as Christ loved the church and lay down his life for her. When I watch him love Carrie that way, it makes me want to be submitted to my wife more out of reverence for Christ. When I watch him, the way he treats his kids and loves his kids, it's a picture of a heavenly father just chasing after his children. And so when we hang out, that's just, that's just what happens. It just stirs my affections for the Lord. And so it, maybe it's even selfishness that I want to hang out with him because I feel like I'm a better disciple when I hang out with him. Sometimes when he's doing those little explanations about it, it's like, the, this, I don't even know what he's talking about. You? I'm like, what is he? I don't know, but it sounds so spiritual. It just makes me want to pray. And so now there's some people in your life and they influence you away from Jesus. I mean, you, you know who those people are, no matter your intentions. But when you get around those people, you're like the worst version of you. That you gossip more, you are less faithful. I mean, some of you, you're doing good, you're with your disciple group, everything's going well, and then you hang out with that old college roommate, and every time you wake up naked in the back of an El Camino at a flea market, and you're like, what happened? <laughs> Again, seriously. <clears throat> now, and a lot of times I'll have people say, yeah, 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 but Jesus hung out with the sinners. He did, he did. There's a few things that I would like to point out there. Uh, You're not Jesus, <laughs> okay? You're not their savior. He loves them more than you love them. And he was always the influence. He was never influenced. And so there are some people in your life and, you, and they are being influenced by you. And I would tell you, uh, if you are influencing them towards the Lord, then you throttle down on that relationship. If they are influencing you away from Jesus, then you need to get out for the sake of his name. And then there are some people, I hope and pray there's not some people in your world and you're there bar Jesus. That it's some of the ways that you talk to them or treat them or whatever it is, activities that you participate in with them that are actually causing people to, to be moved away from Him instead of towards Him. So you've got, to, you've got to hang out with those people, surround yourself with those people that stir your affections for Christ. Um, in, our, in our notes... Grab your bulletin on the, on the bottom right side of it if you open it all the way up. We put a, uh, put a little tear away. Hey, somebody bring me some notes. Kelly, bring me notes. I forgot to bring them up here. Guys, this is Kelly, our producer. She puts the whole thing together. Can we give her a hand? She loves to be up front, too. She really like that. So after the service, if you would just tell her what a great job she does. and Her name's Kelly. All right, She likes to be hugged a lot, too. So if everyone could hug her, she'd appreciate that. <clears throat> So on the bottom right portion of your notes, um, we perforated this, okay? Perforated is Hebrew for to tear away, so if you'll just uh, do that. There's some questions here, some questions here in regard to walking in gospel-centered community. The first one is this. Who in your life has permission to speak the truth in love to you? If you can't immediately write down a name of someone that you've invited into your life to play that role. Your walk with Jesus is in jeopardy. It is that big of a deal, all right? That you need people in your life that you have a relationship with that can point out the blind spots in your life. You know why you don't know what your blind spots are? Because they're blind spots. If you know what they are and you're still doing them anyway, you're just a fool. But your friends, that your accountability partner, whatever you want to call it, need to love you enough that they can speak the truth in love to you. When we knew that we were going to launch this church, the first thing I did was assemble a core team. I asked Ben and Carrie Williams. I asked Ryan Stone. I asked Stacy Brown. I said, look, this is going to be a team. This ain't going to be the Joe B. Martin Show, all right? We are better together than we are alone. We're going to make decisions together. We're going to look out for each other's back. We are going to try to do this as a team. The other thing I did is I put together an elder board. And essentially, I took the reins of the church as the lead pastor and put them in the hands of our board of elders and said, listen, I need some accountability over me. I need some covering over me. And then we began to just build those relationships because this kind of of loving confrontation happens best in relationship. I'm not just saying anybody and everybody can just come and point out everybody's blind spots. I'm saying that you need to be in relationship fellowship with people. It's why you need to be in a disciple group so that you can begin to build that trust so that when somebody comes to point out a blind spot in your life, you know it's not about them. They really do have your best interest in mind. You see, because um, what happens in me if we're not in that kind of relationship, because I get preaching advice all the time. Hey, here's how I'd preach better sermons. Okay, tell me about your church. Well, I don't really have one. All right, well, I'm not going to listen to what you said. I mean, I, I've tried to. I want to hear. And there's all these cute little phrases about, you know, you need to listen to everybody's criticism and all that. That's great. But there needs, some, there needs to be some specific people in your life looking, looking out for your blind spots. You know why? Because, because when people come to me and say, hey, here's, here's a blind spot in your life, especially when I don't know them, my tendency is go, you know what the funny thing is? is as you were pointing out my blind spots, I began to notice several of yours. Okay, And since we are in this dialogue together, I appreciate your criticism, but now let me uh, hold you accountable also, but the difference is I have a Bible verse for all of mine, so there, get out of my face. All right, That's kind of just my nature, but when it's a core team member, some people that I've invited in, when it's an elder and I know they've got my back, then I listen to them. And the reason is because, I mean, we get criticism, I don't know even know what you call it. I, let me just say this, you know, our prayer cards, it's not a suggestion box okay? So when you make suggestions on there, um, I don't don't know if you're suggesting them to the Lord, like, because these are prayers, you know? And so I got one a long time, uh, several weeks ago, and on the prayer card, it says, just a suggestion. It's a lot easier to see and connect during the service without the large poles all over. It would be better without them, really. (laughs) So if you're here right now, um, my grandmother would say about you, bless your heart. <clears throat> I would like to lovingly point out that we didn't put the poles here. Uh, Sam Walton did. And um, we did remove one that was about right here. And we thought it would be less distracting to have a roof than to not have one. <laughs> but that's just us, okay? Okay, so... So I'm not saying everybody with a, with a mouth and a Twitter account gets to speak into your life, okay? Because, you know, with Twitter, a coward is born every hour. So I, that's not what I'm talking about. There needs to be some people in your life that you have invited in. And you begin to build that relationship and trust so that you can, you can call out their blind spots for the glory of God. The second question is, who do you need to lovingly sharpen? Now, this is where it gets tough. Are there some people in your world, and from your perspective, they're about to drive their life or their family or their finances, they're about to drive it over the cliff, and you can see it clearly, and you need to step into that relationship. You know, one of the meanest things, one of the cruelest things that you could do is see somebody that you say you love heading over the cliff, and then you pray a lot and say nothing. I think there's some times where Jesus would say to you, okay, quit praying, start saying. Okay? Quit praying, dear God, would you just help Ted? And God's going, I, okay, ready, go. You do it. You are the answer to prayer, that you would step in and say something for love's sake. I'm, and, and then on the other side of the spectrum, some of you may be a little too eager to step into those kind of conversations. All right, some of you right now are like, finally, <laughs> I get to point out everybody's sin in our church. You might want to throttle down a little bit there, Scooter, okay? Um, In fact, just just by a show of hands, how many of you tend to be conflict-averse? If you you kind of avoid conflict, raise your hand. All right, notice how they raise their hand, by the way. They're like, I... Oh, he's looking at me. Oh, man. Okay. And how many of you just... I'm in this camp. How many of you just step right into conflict? You do? See how they raise their hand? I won. I was first. I won. Now, here's the thing. God calls both groups in our own way to love each other enough to do something about it. And so so, so, some of the things that you've got to know is, um, I, I can just tell you, I, I, I don't want critics in my life. I want coaches. I don't want people that say they love me but won't see a blind spot in my life or they don't see my, my life heading in a direction I don't want it to go and then not say anything out of fear. I want Coaches, you know what a critic is? A critic waits until it's over and then comes and tells you what you should have done. A coach is in the battle with you saying, all right, that last play didn't work, but here's what I would do for the next play. So I want coaches to be involved and not just critics. Another thing that you've got to do, it's in Matthew 18, it's all throughout the scriptures. Paul did it with Bar Jesus. You talk to people and not about them. And just because you call it a prayer request, God is not tricked by your Christian lingo. He knows what gossip is. And instead of praying about, I mean, yes, we pray, 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 and then say amen, and then go and say something to your brother or sister. And I don't have a Bible verse for this one, just an observation. Any discussion that, that is going to be serious or sensitive should be done face-to-face, not over Facebook, not over Twitter, not over text, but that you would go face-to-face with those folks, and you would talk to them and not about them. And then this is a huge one. You have to know the difference between your preferences and God's precepts. You've got to know the difference. That's why we do Bible study in here. It's why we've got a reading plan. It's why you need to get to know the gospel. And you get so familiar with the gospel that when you see something that doesn't look like the gospel, then you can be able to see that. And you've got to be able to differentiate between your preferences. Because the more you go to church, here's what's going to tend to happen to us all. We tend to come up with an arbitrary list of this is what a Christian looks like. And funny enough, it looks a lot like you. And when you see somebody that doesn't look like your list of what Christians should and shouldn't do, you think, well, I've got to tell them. But you've got to know the differences between, between your own preferences, like worship style or how you do communion or whatever it is, and God's precepts. Like, my grandma still cannot understand, ladies, why in the world you wouldn't wear a dress today, right? And I'd have to lovingly say, hey, Mert, um, that, that's just your preference. And it's okay. You, you wear that. That's cool. But it's not God's preset." One of my favorite illustrations to use when it comes to this, and I like to use it because it offends people on both sides of the argument. And I like to equally offend, you know, as best I can. Since we launched the Church of 1122, you know, it's a movement for all people. So all kinds of people are here, and regardless of church background, and some of you aren't very religious at all, thank God. And, and uh, I've had, you know, sometimes people will gather up before or after church, and they'll smoke, and i have people come in, really panic, and say, Pastor, I saw some people smoking outside of the church. When are you going to preach against smoking? And where we live, I have to go, what, what were they smoking? Okay. <laughs> See which kind of page we're on here. God, they're smoking cigarettes. Hmm. Okay. So they're smoking cigarettes. Okay. And then the, when are you going to preach against them? Right? And I go, well, well do you want to know what the Bible says or do you want to know what I think? And I go, well, what does the Bible say? Well, the, there's not a verse in the Bible that says thou shalt not smoke cigarettes. I mean, there's not a verse in there that says that directly addresses smoking cigarettes. And all the smokers said, amen. All right. So, <clears throat> but do you know what I think? Here's what I think. Here's my preference. If you smoke cigarettes, I think it's dumb. I mean, I really think it's dumb. And let me tell you why I think it's dumb. Um, One is you stink. And I know you can't smell you because that got burnt up years ago, all right? And and I know you think that you rolled your window down this much and you kind of did it like this, but it's still getting on you. Okay, I can smell it in my car behind you. We can smell it on you coming in the room. It's fine, but you stink. And your teeth turn yellow and your fingernails turn yellow and you got little burn marks on you. And, um... You're the only person on a Friday night standing in the rain outside of Applebee's by yourself. And you got in it to kind of be cool, right? You start smoking as a sorority sister in college to kind of fit in. And now you're just standing out there all alone in the rain smoking cigarettes. And we've never pulled up and be like, man, that chick looks so cool out there by the trash bin of Chili's. Just, right? Now, when James Dean did it, it was cool, and then we figured out it'll kill you, and now it ain't cool, and so every time you get a carton of it, it says, hey, heads up, dummy, this could kill you, and you'd be like, all right, sweet, 10 bucks, and you're giving a whole lot of money to something that's dumb. We could take all that money, give it to Overland Missions, take the gospel to the ends of the earth, okay? We could go that direction, so I think it's dumb, 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 dumb. Is it a sin? Um, Every time I, anytime I bring it up, I'll have somebody, some religious person will come up and be like, well, pastor... In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says that your body is a temple. Therefore, honor God with your body. And I go, I know, but you get most of your food through your car window from a clown. So I'm just saying. (laughs) I know you don't believe in beer and cigarettes, but you believe in biscuits and gravy. And that verse might. You don't ever see the Stop the Biscuits and Gravy campaign, but I think it's killing the same amount of people. And the problem is, well, Jesus says it this way in, uh, in Matthew 7. I think Jesus was telling jokes. Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Oh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush this habit in their life, and then with my pride and self-righteousness. Because if you put pride and smoking cigarettes on the same scale, pride's a lot heavier. It got Lucifer kicked out of heaven, okay? So it would be like curing the common cold with cancer every doctor would say, that was a bad trade. And so if you crush somebody's habits, which, which again, I, I think they're dumb, but, uh, but to build up your own self-righteousness, then that's crazy. And, and again, somebody will come up, hey pastor, I've heard you smoke cigars. Yeah, but they're cool. Amen. All right. So <laughs> let's just be honest. <clears throat> and then the last thing, you got to really check your heart. I mean, you got to really check your motives. Is the reason that you're going to confront, is it really for the gospel? Is it really for God's glory? Is it really for the sake of that person? Or are you just jealous? Right? Ladies, there's some of you, and they're like, we've got to talk to Stacy because she doesn't dress very modest. And the real issue is you just, wear, you just wish you could wear what she wears. I mean, that's really what's going on here. Or some of you guys feel like, well, we've got to talk to Ted because he works too much. And really, you're just jealous of his success you got to lay that down at the altar. So one of the things, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. When I mean, you walk into this kind of conversation with a friend, a brother or sister in Christ, be ready to be sharpened too. Because it will expose some darkness in yourself as you're trying to help your brother or sister live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and so, on the other side of this uh, on the other side of this card, the last question is who do you need to avoid? You need to avoid those people that are leading you away from Jesus. Again, Jesus is their savior, not you. On the other side of this card is a verse. I'd love for you to memorize Colossians 4, 6. It says this, let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. So those of you that were quick to raise your hand to say, hey, I like walking into conflict, then you need to hang out on that first word. Let your speech always Be gracious, be gracious. So maybe you are absolutely right, and you do need to step into this conversation and point out somebody's sin or the speck in somebody's eye. But you need to do it with an immense amount of grace. You know why? Because how gracious has God been to you? I mean, God has been so gracious to you. You know how I know? Is there anybody in the room that's ever done the same sin more than once? And God has been so gracious with us. Or how many of you have ever made this promise? God, I'll never do that again. Yeah, how'd that work out, right? And then what does God do on your night time? He is so gracious. And so you need to walk into those conversations full of grace. But it also says seasoned with salt. Those of you who tend to be conflict averse, then, then you've got to season your conversation with salt a little bit. You put salt on a wound and it stings, but it brings healing. All right? The way I would translate that is you just got to cowboy up. I mean, sometimes you just got to step into it. And what you need to hear is that God did not give you the spirit, spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And the same Holy Spirit that called David to walk out and slay Goliath, the same Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that fell on the day of Pentecost resides in you, and he will give you the courage and the words to lovingly rebuke your brothers and sisters. So let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Look, I hope and I pray that you are in gospel-centered community. And if you're not, when we get finished, you go back to the Connect Center. People will help you get involved in a disciple group. And if you left some of these blank, if you don't have the person to speak the truth and love, then you show up this week to a disciple group and go, hey, I need somebody from this group to be one of these people. And you start building that kind of relationship. For those of you that know that you see one of your friends and they're heading their life off the cliff, this week you start praying for the courage that you would step in and say something to them instead of talking about them. Because let's just be honest. The reason that we're here, almost every single one of us, the reason that we're here is because somebody loved us enough to talk to us To say, hey, the trajectory of your life is leading to a Christless eternity. And I love you so much. Can I risk um, offending you to tell you something offensive? The gospel. That God loved you. He loved you so much that he didn't just sit in heaven and feel a certain way about you. He loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son to pay your sin debt on the cross. And it was some kind of invitation or conversation that led us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And see, the person that you need to lovingly rebuke or lovingly confront, you have no idea what they're praying right now. They might be praying right now, today, at their house, Dear God, if you really are listening, can you do something about this situation? And his answer to prayer literally could be you, with, with every word you speak to them, seasoned with salt and full of grace, leading them into that right relationship with God. Would you please stand and pray with me? our good and gracious heavenly father lord we love you so much because you first loved us god we thank you that when you loved us god you didn't just feel a certain way about us and hope for the best but you took action that the word became flesh and dwelt among us that you lived a perfect sinless life that you endured the wrath of an almighty god on the cross that we really deserve so that we could be made your righteousness and god that you call us into a love relationship with you. But it's not just me and you and nobody else, God. We're supposed to live that out in this community of faith. God, we thank you and we praise you for this community, this gospel-centered community called the Church of 1122. God, I pray if there's any person in this room, God, and they are alone or lonely, Lord, I pray first and foremost, you would be enough, but then you would surround them with brothers and sisters in this very room right now that would lovingly rebuke, that would lovingly encourage that would point out their strengths, that would commission them for your ministry. God, that would do all those things that we were supposed to do as a body, as a family, as a bride. We pray all this in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Hey, at the end of every service, we respond to the gospel. We respond by worshiping God together. We respond by bringing our tithes and offerings to the boxes all around the edge. And we respond by coming to the altar. Some of you know you've got a difficult conversation coming this week. You need to come and you need to pray. Some of you, the difficult conversation standing in this room. And Jesus said, before you come and bring your gift to the altar, go first to your brother, reconcile there. And then what if, what if we were the kind of church that did the word and said, just listen to it? And then maybe the two of you together come down to the altar and pray. Whatever it is, let us respond.